Tanya and I had the privilege of serving a church in Wellston, Oklahoma. It was not a, it was not a huge church, but uh, we loved being there. And um, it, it occurred to me that there are more children on this stage than there were in people in my, congreg- my previous congregation, which is, is just an amazing thing to see. But someone said, we're, we're going to need a bigger stage. Well, we're definitely going to need a bigger talit. However, we already have the biggest blessing that we need. And so we don't need to worry about that. And I love it that we're teaching our children to pray the Lord's Prayer because the most important thing they're ever going to learn to pray is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Wow, we're going to look at that today in a way that hopefully will be new and exciting to you. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Brent Avery, and I'm blessed to be able to uh, come and preach and teach from the Word um, over a course of series of time or Sabbath, Saturdays and Sabbaths with you. With you, and I'm so glad that we are here to do this. We're continuing the Lions Roar series. I also want to welcome those who are uh, joining us online, and I just want to give a word of um, <laughs> I don't know if it's warning or instruction. Or, or advice, I don't know what it is, but just be prepared. This one may be one you need to go back and watch again because there's going to be a lot coming at you and we're going to be taking time to read some sections of scripture because when Jesus concludes each one of the letters to the seven churches, he says, let him who has ears hear what the spirit is saying to the church. And sometimes that word from the Lord has to resonate within us. And sometimes we have to process it. So if you don't get everything today, that's fine. Take time to go home, sit down with the word, open it again and listen again. As we begin our uh, second message focusing on the throne room scene of Revelation 4 and 5. I want to direct your thoughts to an amazing event in the Torah, early in the Torah. Genesis chapter 14 describes a time when the world went to war. For 12 years, the kings of the east, the older kingdoms on earth, had forced the newer kingdoms of the west to pay tribute. Genesis 14 details how some of the kings of the West align themselves to uh, come out against those older kingdoms of the East. By the way, this is the first real World War I. As it turns out, the kings of the West were not successful. And the kings of the West that we're talking about are the kings that occupied what would be Jordan and uh, the Holy Land today down in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, the southern part of Israel. They were defeated by the kings of the East so badly that even Lot, Abram's nephew, was carted away by those kings uh, to be taken back as they followed the Fertile Crescent back towards the East. Abraham finds out about it, and he takes those men that were born in his household, only 318, and he pursues them as far as Damascus, where modern-day Damascus would be today, and he defeats those kings of the east who have already defeated the kings of the west. Now, if you defeat the kings who defeated if you defeat the kings of the east who defeated the kings of the west, you pretty, it's pretty much a given that you could also defeat the kings of the west, which pretty much means Abram is now, can I say it, the king of the world. Literally, he has every right 
to lay claim to it. He has every, because he's not only saved his own family, he has restored the fortunes of those kings of the West who had been dominated and controlled by the kings of the East. When we get to Genesis chapter 14, after the war is over, this is what we read. Beginning in verse 17, then after his return from the defeat of uh, Keter Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Avram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, the God, he blessed God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand and he gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Avram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear that you would say I have made Abram rich. Abram is now has the right to be the king of the world. He's defeated those kings of the east. But in that place, he says no way to the temptation. Did you hear me? No way to the temptation to claim an, an inheritance that was given by men and not by God. Just because he had the right to it, and he had the right to it, because God promised him in Genesis 12 that he would be the progenitor of all the nations of the world. But in that place, he says, I will not take an inheritance on this earth that is given by men, and it is in that very place that we read of this event. Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said to them, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Yeshua said to him, depart from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the very place where Father Avram, Father Abraham, who had been promised to be the progenitor of the nations, yet he would not accept the spoil or acclaim, who would not receive the kingdoms of men, our Savior, who had every right to accept both spoil and acclaim, said, not yet, and not from you, Hasatan, for my kingdom is not of this world. That doesn't mean it's not in this world. It means he doesn't receive it 
from this world. I, I love our nation, and I love the fact that I have the right to vote, but our king doesn't get voted in by us. Amen? And he can't be voted out. You see, his, he knew that where his kingdom was from. He knew that one day both angels and humans would one day bow before him, but only when he was seated on the throne prepared for him, given to him by his heavenly father. As we take a moment to prepare our hearts for the remainder of this message, I'm asking you today, are you seeking what the world offers? Or are you willing to walk in and wait for the fullness of what is ours in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ? I'm asking you this morning to hear the Spirit ask this question, do you know your King? Thank you. From the lips of babes. For those watching, I just got an amen. Are you pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness? What is his righteousness? What he gives. What he bestows. What he pours out. What he gives to those who love him and know his voice and can sing in sincerity, that is who you are. Let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. Will you pray with me? Oh, Abba Father, what a privilege is ours today to open the scroll, to open the pages of your word, to be invited with the Apostle John into your presence, to see what he saw, to hear what he heard, and to understand what you want for us to hear and understand. Father, I pray for a spirit of discernment. I pray that Amidah prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, that we would begin to know and understand. Have your way in our hearts today. Amen. Before I continue, just a word of... Uh, <laughs> information to the worship team and the sound booth. Uh, when we get to the end of our service day, we are going to have a, uh, another song, a season of response, and just another time of pressing in the Lord. And as I listened to the worship today, we got to the second song, and I thought, oh, I want that one. <laughs> and then I got to the next song, oh, I want that one. And we already had one that, I, that I, we were going to use, but I think I want to wait for that one to be next week because I want us to redo song number two. As our, time, our, as our response song. Can we do that? All right. Well, you're going to do that because I'm the guy with the mic and I'm in charge today. Okay? This morning, my prayer is that we see what John saw. Now, as we begin to dive into Revelation 4, over the next couple weeks or so, we're going to be looking at this uh, 4 and 5. We're going to kind of break it down into three uh, sections. Today, we're going to be looking at the glorious throne. Next week, we're going to come back and look at the great assembly. But I want you to notice that John is in John Revelation chapter 4, that John is caught up to see, but also to understand the glorious throne of Jesus. Let me read. 
After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me. Uh, the, the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting upon the throne. We're going to kind of break these down uh, verse by verse this morning. Let me look at verse one with you. Let me summarize what has just happened in this sentence. John is going up to see the summing up in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. John is going up to see the summing up of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Jesus is the source and focus of the revelation? Remember that very first sentence of revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that that of is in the genitive form, which means that it is not only from him, it's about him. He's both source and topic of the revelation. Please hear me today. If we fail to see him, we have failed to see and hear what we are supposed to be seeing and hearing. If we miss who Jesus is, and we sang about that, every song today in our worship was so knit together by God. If we fail to see who he is, what we're being shown here is irrelevant. But we're being shown it for a reason. Do you remember last week when I made you keep standing up? Don't worry, I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) Yeah, that was the subject of lunch. What was wrong with that guy? Ephesians 1.9, he has made known the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, in Jesus, with a view to an administration suitable to the fulfillness, fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, this is kind of a complicated sentence, but John, or, uh, Paul is basically saying that this revelation, this mystery that has been made known to us is ultimately so that we will come to the place where we will see that God is going to sum up all things in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what John has seen. In Paul's Amida prayer, he declares that Jesus... Uh, God's goodwill for humanity finds its fulfillment in Jesus when all things in heaven and earth are summed up in him. Now, my wife will tell you, I am a word nerd. I turned 60 this week. And today, Wordle in three lines, two days in a row. For those of you who don't know what Wordle is... It's incredibly impressive to get it in three lines. Anyway, <laughs> my wife looked at me and he goes, how do you, you, you are a word nerd. I am a word nerd. I love the way the word of God is revealed. I love the way the Holy Spirit interconnects words and images and concepts. I love the word for summing up in Greek is a word that is built on the Greek word for head, kephale. And that the summing up of all things is literally the heading up of uh, the heading up of the, the one who is identified as the head of all things. 
things in heaven and on earth. There is one head in whom it all comes together. And so Paul uses this head word and says that the summing up or the, the bringing it to a head, we kind of use that as an English uh, phrase. It all comes together. It all finds its totality. And I love the word, the, the mathematical term sum, because it has to do that everything adds up to Jesus. It all, that's where it's at. He's on the top line of every equation. You say, yeah, Brent, but that's, that's Greek. Well, guess what? The Hebrew word does the same thing. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Rosh devarecha imet. The, your righteous ordinance are everlasting. You see the Hebrew word for some, the totality, that which it all adds up to is the Hebrew word rosh, head. Paul is doing in Greek what the Old Testament has already done in Hebrew. The Hebrew is, is saying, literally David says that all of God's word is truth and it all adds up to the one who is the truth. And Yeshua said, I am the way, I am the truth. Are, are you doing the biblical math here? Are you being good disciples? By the way, do you, little sidebar, do you know what the Greek word for disciple is? Mathematics, something like that. It's where we get our word mathematics. A boom. So you all need to repent of saying, I hate math. <laughs> Me, the worst of sinners. <laughs> what, what, what is a mathematician? Someone who adds things up. And we're being told that all things add up to one conclusion. Yeshua the Messiah. I ask you again, do you know your king? Paul's Amidah prayer, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his, of his inheritance in the saints. Can I just sidebar? He didn't want an inheritance of kingdoms given by Satan. He wants you. He wants an inheritance of the sanctified ones. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us? I believe these are in accordance with the working of his strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all. All things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Are, are you beginning to sense a trend? Christ is the head of the church. He is the head of the sanctified assembly that has a destiny with the throne we're about to look at. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. There are two things that we're going to see right away. 
And both of them are described as standing. Now, I love this because the idea, well, we'll, we'll get to that. This, this idea of standing, it means established. We'll talk about that. So the first thing we're going to see is behold a door standing open. John makes sure we know that the invitation to come through that door has come from the voice of the one he first heard speaking to him like the voice of a trumpet. Word nerd alert number two. The Greek word for door is <laughs> thura. What do you do at a door? You go what? Ah, you go through it. I wonder where our word came from. A lot of my ancestry is Dutch, and that's kind of where we get the word door. And it has the idea of that which you pass through. So it's not just, oh, look, there's a door and there's a throne. The door, the open door is the invitation. Come into my house. Cross the threshold. Come into my presence. I love what Jesus says in John 14. In my father's house are many places, many dwelling places. So I'd tell you, there's a place for you there. Come on in. There's a way to pass through and to enter in. An open door, thura, which John is invited to pass through. John chapter 10, verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door... Uh, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. Now, now let me just pause. There are a whole lot of people telling you there's a whole lot of ways to get in to the father's house. There's not. They're, they're climbing up, trying to get in by their own righteousness. They, they think they found some Hebrew word that changes everything. Nope. Nothing changes. Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Thura. Some people didn't get it, though. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he comes forth, all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now I want you to listen to John chapter 10 verse 7. This is a figure of speech. Literally, this is a parable. Jesus is not a door with hinges. Do you understand that? This is a spiritual truth that is being revealed. Listen to what it, he's, John records. John records, this is a figure of speech. Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those who, the, those things which were, which were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, <laughs> have, have you ever had that moment where you just kind of want someone, could you just dumb it down? Could you just simplify a little bit? I mean, preacher, what are you talking about? John says, they did not understand this parable that Jesus was saying, using the idea of the sheepfold and the door and, and coming in and going out. So Jesus says to them again, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. My friends, Yeshua is the open door. He is the voice that calls John into the spirit. I am not here to bash anybody, but it is time for us to state without apology, Moses does not call you into the spirit. Moses does not fill you with the Ruach HaKodesh. Moses does not pour out the spirit of God's holy presence into your life. Amen? Can I get an amen? Can I get an omen? Can I get an amen? I don't care. You don't get in through Moses. And I love Moses. But he's not the door. He was a sign pointing to the door that was coming. The anointed of all things. Quickly, I want to take note of John's use of this phrase, after these things. Have you noticed that? It keeps coming up a lot. And after these things and after these things. We, we kind of learned this when we were in Tel Aviv doing Hebrew Ulpan language school. There's really no, at least in ancient Hebrew, there's no real word for things. You know, we have, set, we have great words like stuff. I mean, you don't realize how wonderful it is to have a, a word as generic, as undefined, as broad as stuff. Things. So what word do they use for it in Hebrew? Devarim. Words. Everything we're reading is a prophecy coming from the mouth of God. It is after these words, then these words come to pass. Everything is like Genesis chapter 1, where every sentence after the first verse starts with the, a little letter added to a, the beginning of the word that means that every sentence could literally start with and, 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 because it's all a conjunction. It's all a connection flowing from God. So everything we're going to read is just God's word of truth coming to pass. All these things, all the words of God are summed up in Christ, who is the word of God. Now, the second standing thing we're going to see is in verse 2. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Let me jump over to Colossians 1, where Paul is, does another Amidah prayer. And begin in verse 10 where, he ins where he's instructing the people that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit like a tree planted by the water, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness. And patient, joy, patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, oh my goodness, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Man, if we would slow down and pay attention to what we're being told, it's just amazing. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Who did that? God did that. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. It all came through him. It's all for him. He is the head, the sum of all of it. Hey, John, come on up. I'm going to show you the sum. Come on up to see the summing up. He is the head. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, there's that word again, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Do you understand that the heavens rejoice at the sacrifice of Yeshua? Because now heaven and earth can be reconciled. How? Through him. This, this is amazing stuff. And it was the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness would dwell in him. You know, I, I hear people from the Hebrew Roots movement and some Messianic movements, you know, who, who used to say, well, you know, back when I was in the church, you know, you never heard about the Father. And I just feel like saying, well, I'm sorry, you were in kind of a sorry church because I grew up in a great church and I heard about the Father and I heard about the Son and I heard about the Holy Spirit and I'm pretty sure you did too. But did you hear what the Father's good pleasure is? That it all sums up in his son. That it was, you're not hurt. Well, we, we need to talk more about the Father than the Son. The Father says, excuse me, no, you don't understand the math. I gave you my son. If you want to come to me, you're going to have to add it all up in him. I hope this is making some sense. John sees a throne standing. Now, the Greek word here for standing means that it was set in place. It was established. It was, I don't know, you, you could say it was unmovable and unshakable. Why? Because it was established. Now, understand something about the throne of God. We're going to get into this, not today, but later on. The throne of God is set in place. Therefore, it is immovable, but it is not immobile. In fact, just the opposite. This throne that has been set in place that is unmovable is never not moving. And we'll see that next week, Lord willing. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a, sar and sar and a sardius, may I just insert a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Did you notice that John's description of the one sitting on the throne um, is all couched in stone terminology? I mean, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, do you remember what the very first, you know, well, no, second commandment is? Or the, 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 well, it depends on how you divide them, but anyway... <laughs> Someone's going to be out there going, he doesn't know that order. Which version is he using? The Bible one. Um, 
you shall not make for me a graven image. I don't need for you to carve me in stone, but I do need you to understand why I'm described in stone. Hello. They are, he, is, he is described, God is described using stones. They are stones of radiance and brilliance and light. How is it that John can describe God with stones? Well, the, the sardius is, is believed to be a fiery red color, which is interesting because when we read Ezekiel, we're going to see a fiery red color in the midst of the Merkavah, the throne of God. Jasper is spoken of later in Revelation in a couple places as being clear as crystal. Again, how is it that John can describe his thrones and his glory with earthly stones? When Jesus explained himself as the doorkeeper and the shepherd of the gate, the people did not understand. He simplified and made his statement even more direct, I am the door. But it says that when he did that, it was a figure of speech and a parable. Are we listening? When John describes God as having an image or a resemblance of stone, we're right back to what Jesus was doing in John. Is the God who sits on the throne a stone? No. But he is like unto something that helps us see his glory. I ask you to hear what the Spirit is saying today and to understand the nature of what we're being shown. Because remember that passage, those the Pharisees... They wanted to kill him because they didn't understand. Our God and his throne being described with the different types of light radiating glorious stones is a sign for us. And it is one that we have seen before in the revelation of God's good news kingdom announcement. We just may not have paid attention to it. So let's go back to that first night of the good news proclamation of the good news kingdom. Luke chapter 2 verses 9 through 14. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Mashiach, Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude in the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, completion, fullness among men with whom he is pleased." A Savior who is the Messiah, who is Lord, is now lying in a manger. It just doesn't capture it. Because you see, the same word for lying or having been laid is the same word used for this throne which has been set and established. 
meaning it has been set there, established there, so that we can see it and understand this parable, this truth, this reality that God is trying to show to us. This baby intentionally set in a manger is a sign. How can that be a sign, I mean, other than the fact that it's just weird? I mean, when you know what a manger is, it's a feeding trough. Now, when we go to Israel, I love going to uh, Tel Megiddo because as we're making our way up through the archaeological place, there's, there's a place where there's some, since Megiddo was a city uh, where Solomon had horses, there's a lot of mangers and it's the first place you find out that your flannel graphs in Sunday school lied to you. That's for people, you know, born in the 60s. Anyway, you know that little wooden thing with the hay? That's a modern manger, but the ancient mangers weren't made of wood. They were made of stone. This Savior, which is Christ the Lord, has been intentionally placed in a stone manger as a sign. The Savior, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, is set in that stone manger, this feeding trough, a feeding trough, hear me, for animals that follow. This isn't a feeding trough for, you know, the cats and, and, and the, the wild animals. This is a feeding trough for those stock animals, oxen and sheep that know the voice of their master who are dependent. You ever been on Facebook or one of these things and you've seen these pictures of, of some guy that goes out and just sounds his voice and a whole herd of cows will come running across the field. Horses will come running. Sheep will collect. Why is this important? Because Isaiah gave us the answer in Isaiah 1.3 as God describes how Israel has gone astray and no longer knows him as God. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 1, 2, and 3. Listen, O heavens. Understand that what he's about to declare is a truth declared in heaven and on earth. And hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks, sons I have reared up and brought up. But they have revolted against me. He's talking about Israel. An ox knows its owner. Now he's going he's to use a parable. An ox knows its owner. And a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Do we? Did, did, did you just hear that? Do you understand who that baby set in a manger is? Do you understand who owns the stone manger and who put him there? The father. For a sign. In Mark 12, Jesus has spoken a parable against the religious leaders. And he asked them, have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him and yet they feared the people for they understood that he spoke a parable against them and so they went away. You know, parables have, a, have this power to sift and to separate. 
they show who's listening spiritually and, they, and receiving and those who don't. So here we go again. The stone. Our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord being described as a stone. But notice he is a stone that is rejected by men. But notice set in place by God as the chief cornerstone. Word alert. Nerd word alert. Chief cornerstone. Rosh. Head stone. Corner stone. Chief stone. The one that is set in place, established, founded by God. The one that the whole rest of the building is constructed around. The old man Simeon in the temple when Jesus was taken to be circumcised knew that this one he held in his arms was the one who someday would become a stumbling stone to his people. The Pharisees were furious because they understood that Jesus had told this parable against them. But they did not understand that he was the cornerstone set in place by God for the salvation of everyone who believes, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, we're only three verses into what John saw, but I must stop and ask you, do you understand what you're seeing? I ask this because this sign, this revelation is rejected by many who claim to know God's will because they study the Torah, but reject the full identity of who the Messiah is. People who... who, uh, told me for years, well, we're not going to make the mistake of our forefathers and, and make this thing become about us. And that's exactly what they did. And I'm not saying that I didn't come here today to beat people up. I love the Torah. I love the Hebrew roots. I love what the Lord has shown me in those things. But those things are all summed up in Messiah. And if all you have is Moses, you don't have the rest of the equation. Amen, amen, amen. Have I covered all the bases? If there's another way to say it, send Chris an email. I ask this because this sign, this this parable can become something that testifies against you. Because we don't understand. And we reject even though the Lord is trying to reveal. The angels did not declare, Paul, please hear this. I've been waiting all week to say this. The angels did not declare that Jesus was the Messiah. The angels declared that he is the savior of all humanity. He is the anointed Christ, the Messiah, the Christos of God, And that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And it is time, church, for us to stop apologizing for who Jesus is. I love my Jewish brethren like my own 
soul. But the, the discussion, the revelation we have of Jesus in the New Testament is not just that he is the Messiah, but that he is the Savior of the world. He is the anointed one of Israel, and he is Lord of heaven and earth. It all sums up in him. How could we walk away from that? How could we suddenly think, well, that's good, but I'm, I'm good. I'll find my way through the door. No, you won't. There is no other way to go through to the Father but through him. Because God fixed his throne in heaven and said, this is my good pleasure. Our heavenly Father sits on the established throne described in terminology of the glorious radiating stones. If we do not begin to see this truth, we will never know who God is. We will never fully embrace and understand who the Son is, and we will never fully become the fullness of who we are because we will not be able to walk in the true manifestation of the Holy Spirit who is given to us, who seek his kingdom and his righteousness and receive the Holy Spirit as a seal and a sign so that we might do what? Shine like stars in a dark universe. So John wants to describe the Lord on the throne, God the Father on the throne, in the imagery of a stone. You know, when we stand on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, we can't go in anymore to the Dome of the Rock. Inside the Dome of the Rock, it's, it's really not a mosque. It's, 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 a, it's not a place of prayer. It's just a shrine, and it protects what Israel believes, and what I believe is what's called the Evan the foundation stone, the navel stone, the place where God gathered the dust from the stone and created Adam. Our Savior was placed in a stone manger because that is where the animals that are led feed. I'm asking you, do you know him? The ox knows its owner and a donkey knows its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand, do we? Do we understand? Many, many who thought that they had discovered something more in Moses only found a path to walk away from Messiah. They did this because they did not know the owner of the manger and he who sat upon the throne. You see, what we're seeing is real, but it's also a sign. It's a parable designed to show us who God is and who is the cornerstone he chose. But if you will remember, we are created in his image. Isn't that interesting? If the God who sits on the throne, this one that sits in glorious, unapproachable, magnificent light, can be described using the imagery of a stone, 
is it possible he could do the same about us? Peter knew it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Peter wrote about us. And coming to him, (laughs) coming to him as to a living stone. When we come to Yeshua, we come to a living stone. Which, a parable. Which has been rejected by men, but it's choice and precious in the sight of God. And you also, church, I'm talking about you, stay with me. You also... As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let me just pause right there, sidebar. Where do priests serve? In the presence of God. Where are you? Why is there an open door? Why are you being invited to pass through? Why do you get to see this one described in these stones of glorious radiating light? Because that's who he created you to be. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe It's for you who believe, not for those who doubt, not for those who get distracted by the the tribulations of the world, but for those of you who believe, this is for you. But for those who disbelieve, that very same stone that is a revelation, a parable, not only of who he is, but of who you've called to be. The very same stone. But for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race. Someone say amen a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the glory of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. And now you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy because you have received an invitation to join him. In his presence, around his throne, because you came to a living stone, he was set intentionally in a stone manger. Why? So that we would know the second Adam has been born. And now he has ascended to the right hand of the majesty in heaven this glorious throne and he has taken his place and we're going to see the rest of that as we go into four and five 
we're going to sing this song, and I, I decided to opt for this second song because it, it's a song of rejoicing. And I love that chorus, that oh part. Because as we were singing that, you know, we, we, we sing these, we read these passages where Israel shouted, you know, and it's modern Western, we have a hard time shouting. It seems weird. Like, hoy! But as we sing this song, and as we stand to sing it, when we get to that O part, I don't want to, it's, it's not just filler. I want you to see yourself in the great multitude, the great assembly of the redeemed standing before the throne. And our O is, is just, it's, it, it's the uproar. It's the uproar of those who have heard the lion's roar. As we just cry out to him, you are who you said you are. You are established, you are unmovable, you are unchangeable. A throne has been set in heaven. A door has been opened. Some of us went through it a long time ago. And some of us went away. This season of response that we're going to do today, you don't have to come forward unless you need to as we sing. But some of you might want to just come and use these steps as an altar to cry out, Oh! I know who you are. Forgive me for turning away. I take my stand in your presence. Michelle and Thomas are going to be over here to my right. If there are those of you who are in need of a healing touch, ministry to the soul, they're here to pray with you. And maybe, maybe that's, that's just the warning sign telling heaven we're getting ready to worship. And maybe this can be a season of repentance. Lord, I didn't understand. I got distracted. But now I know. Now I stand in you. Physically, spiritually, I stand in you. This will be our benediction. This will be our closing as we worship and come into the presence and cry out to him. Won't you stand? Abba Father, as we sing this song to you, we declare you are who you say you are. You are the Lord of heaven and earth. All of our enemies flee before you. They cannot stand because only your throne remains. Only that which you have set, you have established. And Father, we come against any darkness, any, any demonic, any difficulty, any challenges that are trying to pull people down away from you. May they find their place in you knowing they are established in you as the throne is established in heaven. And may, Lord, you be gracious to pour out your glory in our midst to send us on our way. In Yeshua's mighty name, I pray. Amen.